You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, March 7th, as we recap the recent men's basketball games against Louisville and Clemson, as well as the women's stint in the ACC tournament. We'll also touch on the football assistant coaches' interviews and give the softball team their props after sweeping Clemson this past weekend. All of that and much more coming up on episode 228 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in whether you are listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or watching live or archived on YouTube. We ask you to like, comment, and subscribe if you are on YouTube. And if you're watching live, make sure to drop a comment or question in the chat for David and Chris, and we'll get to them with Nick at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg in one of the best and fastest growing programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. Got a fairly different setup today. Once we have everything working, sorry for the technical difficulties for those of you who were on the YouTube stream. Jake Lyman, our wonderful host, is traveling up to Brooklyn for the ACC tournament. So we miss him. You're stuck with me today, unfortunately. David Cunningham, managing editor of techsideline.com, is across the way. To my right is lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Behind the scenes is Will Stewart filling in for Malcolm Stewart. He truly does it all, folks. We'll see if he can rival the best podcast producer in the land after the little mishap at the beginning. It's not looking good so far. <laughs> <laughs> and in the fourth chair is Nick Brown. He will have his segment in the middle of the show and get to your YouTube questions at the end. And I'm your podcast host for today, Katie Adams. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's start it off with men's basketball. We have two games to go over here, one positive and one negative. So we'll start with the positive. The Hokies won 75-43 to against Louisville at home. Feels like 1991, doesn't it, Chris? That's like one point for every year Tech has gone without <laughs> without beating Louisville. Uh, Literally. Yeah. 30, 30, <laughs> yeah. 32, oh, that's 32 point win, 31 mm-hmm. years. I mean, it was great. It. Uh, Will and I had great seats. We were down on the courtside seats, and we sat right at the end of Tech, Tech's bench. And so, you know, you, you could actually – I was paying attention, like listening, trying to listen to what Mike Young was saying in the huddle. During it gets the very loud. Yeah, yeah, it does get loud down there. Uh, he has to be because the crowd is so loud and, yeah. and, and, and everything. But uh, loved that game. It was like three decades of, of frustration all being let out at once. And uh, it really it really helped Tech in the computer standings. They, they jumped up, I think, four or five spots in the net after that game, about six spots in Ken Palm, a few pop, spots in the BPI. So anytime you, you get – a huge win like that it helps your efficiency rankings and, and makes you look better in those computer metrics um yeah i think that game went about as well as you could expect yeah tech only had eight turnovers in that game i just had to look at look at the stats because it's been six days since that game it feels like it's been forever um 
Tech played very, very well. Efficient basketball. Eight turnovers, and and two of them were shot clock violations. So mm-hmm. that's team turnovers. So really, only six like bad giveaways. Um, you know, Tech Tech shot the ball pretty well. Three point three point shots were going in, and it looked like the Tech team that we've come to to know so far this season. Um, you know, just just really good performance all over the floor. I, I mean, I don't I don't think there's like there's like one big reason why Tech won. It was just efficient basketball. Uh, the big reason Tech won. One of the reasons Tech won is how horrible Louisville well, is. They know, are yeah. truly terrible. Um, when when I saw them take the court, I'm like, oh man, we might be in trouble. These guys look the part. And then they actually started playing basketball, yeah. and they're not very good at it. Um, that that it's crazy how a program like Louisville. I mean, they've won a national championship fairly recently. How they drop to that level. Uh, I don't know what's going on inside their program or anything, but uh, there's no no ball movement on offense. Uh, they just didn't seem to care much defensively. I mean, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 we need teams like the, the league needs teams like Louisville to be good. Like before the season starts, you expect Louisville to be quad one or quad two win at home. Instead, they're quad three, so it doesn't do anything for for the resume. And you can go up and down the ACC. Like Tech hasn't played a quad one team at home all year. And who would have ever thought that? I mean, when you have Virginia, North Carolina, Syracuse, and Louisville right, at, home. at home, you would think at least one of those would be quad yeah. one, if not two. But it just didn't happen this year. Yeah, I think I think the thing that impressed me most about that game, uh, the Louisville game, was that seven Tech Tech played all thirteen guys, walk ons got in, and uh, seven guys scored seven points or more. Right. So very evenly distributed and. Um, I think there were 11 of 13 guys that played, scored at least a bucket. So, um, you know, Tech spread the ball around really, really well. Um, and like you said, it was it was one for the metrics. You know, metrics got up. Um, I, I think that is, as we'll talk about in a second, Tech obviously lost this Saturday at Clemson. But that Louisville game, obviously they're going to play better teams, but that Louisville game, the way they played, is something they need to replicate going forward. You talk about how bad Louisville is. They had 18 turnovers and only 17 field goals, so Tech definitely got some help there. (laughs) But this win was significant in a lot of ways. I think one of the biggest takeaways from it was that Tech accomplished a feat that no other ACC team had done in the past, finishing above 500 after starting league play 2-7. and Both of you kind of talk about the resiliency this team has to get over a hump like that. Yeah. Syracuse did it Syracuse started 0 and 4 and that was that was what Tech also started mm-hmm. 0 and 4 and got got to 9 and 9 but no team had ever started 2 and 7 and finished above 500 and honestly with an 18 game schedule that's really tough yeah. because you essentially have to you can only lose one time in the last you know however last 10 9 games um but i mean they just ripped off what nine only at last 11 mm-hmm. wins that's you know obviously you you have to fault tech you can't just give credit here and not give blame there tech obviously got off to a really bad start i mean you can't start two and seven and then have to climb out of the hole but the way they've done it the way that they've kind of just put their head down and gone to work and you know half those games have been on the road too you're winning right. at florida state you're you know they they did lose at north carolina but they won- beat miami and they beat georgia tech on the road and um, the combination of road games and even when they weren't shooting well, they're still finding ways to win games. I think this team has been really good as of late. Obviously, a tough loss at Clemson, but if this team can can keep momentum from the past month and a half going, I, I think it'll be 
you know, in a good place. Defense has been so much better, and that's that's been the big difference. I mean, they've jumped up about 50 spots in overall defensive efficiency, and I don't think that's something you see very often, where you get to the month of February and you see that big of a jump in yeah. the efficiency rating. So, I mean, I, mean, I remember that year Buzz Williams changed his defensive scheme basically in the middle of the season and tech got a lot better defensively and made the ncaa tournament as a result and mike young didn't change his defensive scheme they just started playing better, better yeah. I, I think i think the backups improved like darius maddox sean perula and gasson to a, probably a lesser extent they all improved defensively and thus they were able to play more and tech got better as a team as a result uh yeah it's impressive resiliency i mean i, I think everybody had given up on a possibility of an NCAA tournament. Tech was 10-10 and 10 going to Florida State, a place they haven't won since... The 90s. The, no, I think 1990. 1990, uh, yeah. I mean, I was expecting to be 10 and 11. And, 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 now, and now fans are upset that that tech you know, tech lost on Saturday, which yeah. which arguably so, but but like the <laughs> fact that that fact that they were sitting at 10-10 and 10 and now they're, you know, 19 and... or. Yeah, nineteen, 19 and, and twelve. 12. Yeah. I mean, that is that is extremely impressive. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it, I'm a law of averages guy. Yeah. And I think I would have liked to have beaten Clemson. I'm disappointed that they didn't. But at the same time, if they had won that game, they would have won ten out of their final eleven. Eleven. You don't see teams winning ten out of eleven conference games. ever. Uh, like Duke is the best team in the league this year, and they didn't do it. So it's it's honestly winning nine out of eleven is improbable. Yeah, very very improbable. So uh, if Virginia Tech doesn't make the NCAA tournament, it's not going to be because they lost to Clemson. It's going to be Saturday. the earlier game. Exactly, yeah. it's going to be because they lost to Xavier's backups. It's going to be because they they lost to Boston College. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not going to be because they, they lost, lost at to home to NC State. Yeah, and the thing is, man, that that's the other thing, and you don't want to blame this too much. But like that COVID shutdown yeah. for a week and a half, I mean that pretty much cost them the NC State game. They had like five players couldn't return to practice until the day before the NC State yeah. game. I mean, oh, when I see a player bicycling through my neighborhood to start, try to stay in shape, that tells me they're not even allowed in the facility. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you, your program shuts down and everybody else's doesn't, and you can't even practice and. Uh, I think they would have won the NC State game. Yeah, and that, right now not. that's a blemish on, on exactly, the resume. exactly. I would like for the committee to take that under consideration. Yeah, they probably won't because you have to do that for everybody. You have to do your research. Like I don't know how many other teams. Yeah, I don't know how many down. teams. It's. I think it's been a lot less common teams going the, on COVID certainly pauses, this year than, than last year. But but uh, yeah, I, I think because I, I think we all thought Tech was starting to play better at that point. Yeah. They hammered St. Bonaventure, and then they played well at Duke. I mean, yeah. they, they led 70% of that game, basically. And uh, then COVID shutdown happened. Yeah, I, I think the one the one good thing in this last 11-game stretch, like you said, the bench. The bench has been fantastic. And I think Mike Young's trusting him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Darius Maddox has, has been fantastic. Sean Padula, too. At Miami, those two I think scored the last five, four or five baskets mm-hmm. for Tech, and that that's all bench points, and that just speaks to the growth of the guys off the bench. And you mentioned the defensive aspect. You know, I think one of the reasons why a lot of those guys didn't play earlier in the year was because Mike Young was afraid of putting him out on the floor right. and then getting absolutely torched on the defensive end, yeah, yeah. and 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 improving. You know, Padula and Maddox and Gasson improving their specific defensive skill set. 
so they can go out and be thrown into these situations and Gasson can go block shots and Padula can get a steal. Right. Padula got a huge steal at Miami. He did. You know, like stuff like that, that's not stuff you saw earlier in the year. And, you know, if again, if Tech is going to make a run here, the bench is going to have to be really big. Well, everything really seemed to click for Tech in this game against Louisville. Justin Mutz was close to his second triple-double, just four assists away. Also had another monster play when Storm Murphy teed him up for that alley-oop slam. You got to think, how many more of these SportsCenter top 10-esque plays does this guy have in him? Exactly. Well, hopefully a few more. (laughs) Hopefully a few more because Tech probably needs two to make the NCAA tournament. Um, That dunk happened on the opposite end of the court of where Will and I were sitting. We were hoping it would happen. Something like that would happen right in front of us. But the Gasson follow-up was right in front front of us. And it was actually more impressive right there in front of us than it was on television. Yeah. Yeah. I asked Mutz about the dunk after the game, and he was like, man, I thought – I didn't think I was going to catch it. He's like, I literally just tried to grab it and throw it in the. Well, how, how about that one he had against Clemson, the and one, the donk, yeah, and one that was that impressive. was really impressive. But then he gave a shout out to David Gasson for yeah. his. He's like, but that putback dunk, he's just like, wow, that was that was incredible. Yeah. That was, I I don't know, did Mutz? I don't think Mutz's dunk made Sports Center top ten, but I know Gasson. I, I, I think I know Gasson's putback dunk really? did. Oh, man, there yeah. must have been a lot but, of good plays. There, yeah, the, the Mutz, but just. Mutz's, I mean, they had, he and Storm had that one play earlier in the season, I think it was against like Radford. Yeah. Yes. What, the well, between the, the, the between the legs, yeah. one hand, the like, mm-hmm. yeah. There's the nutmeg. Yeah. Which we're normally used to seeing in soccer. You yeah. don't see it in basketball very often. So Mutz played well. Aluma had a really good game too. Good performances from that senior duo. You'd think it was their last game in Castle, but David, you were there in the post game when neither of them would confirm if it was their last game in Castle Coliseum. How huge would it be to obtain one or both of them for next yeah, year? Yeah, from what I've heard, you know, I've I've talked to some people, and from what I heard, I don't think Justin's coming back. I mean, you got to think this is a guy who you know, both of these guys are, are 23 right now. They'd yeah. be 24 at the end of basketball season next year. That's a long time to be in college. Justin is on his third school, third degree. Yeah, one undergraduate degree and two graduate degrees. Yeah, he's right. working on his second master's. So, you know, I, it might make a little bit more sense, I think, for Keve. And from what I heard, there's maybe like a 15, 20% chance that, that Keve would stay. And you got to think this is somebody who's trying to boost his draft stock. Um, but from everything I've heard, you know, I can't blame him for well, not wanting if, to come Kevin, back to school. If like, Kevin wants a chance to play in the NBA. He has to take his chance now because yeah. playing in college one more year isn't going to help him. Yeah. Um, the NBA is not going to – the older you get, the less likely you are to get drafted in, yeah. in the NBA. And at this point, he wouldn't get drafted anyway. He'd have to make it by other means. Yeah. But uh, I, Go the Justin Robinson route. Yeah. But um, I, I do think – them obviously coming back, that's a shot in the arm in terms of front court depth. You know, oh, right, right, yeah. right now, your front court depth for next year is David Gasson, John Ogiaco, Lynn Kidd, if you want to count him, mm-hmm. Patrick Wessler coming in. Those are the only guys you have in the front court. If you keep one of them, yeah, that's You're, that's a big shot in the arm. If it's Keve Aluma, who are in second team All ACC honors this morning. That is that, that that would be big. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I suspect somebody's coming in via the transfer portal yeah. uh, to fill at least one of those front court front court voids. Um, I, I think a guy like Keve, you know, whether he plays in, in the G League next year or he plays in Europe or, or whatever, you know, he's going to be making decent money and he has a chance to. I don't think he's an NBA player, but he has a chance to make a good amount of money yeah. in a professional overseas career. And uh, he probably needs to, to get on with that because every year you play in college, 
that's one less year you're, you're earning pl- yeah, six figures money. maybe overseas, you know. So I think it'd be the right decision for him to go ahead and go. Mutz, though, um, if, if, if there are any big donors out there listening with businesses and you want Virginia Tech to be a successful basketball program, yeah. get Mutz signed up to an NIL deal because it's a possibility that he might could make more money through an NIL deal coming back to Virginia Tech next year than he could make playing professional basketball somewhere. Yeah, and I don't and even that know, might appeal to him. And I don't even know if playing professional basketball is a route that that Justin Mutz wants to pursue. Right. But now I will say that Mutz Mutz really likes it at Virginia Tech. Yeah. I mean, you could tell. I mean, he starts he's the only player I've ever heard start the Let's Go Hokies chant during game. Yeah. Now, what what if you sign, what if you got that guy a good NIL deal and yeah. said you get paid to come back and play basketball? Virginia Tech for one more year. I don't. I don't know what would happen if it's somebody like, put I, that idea in his head. Yeah. So if, if you're interested in Virginia Tech being a uh, going to the NCAA tournament again next year and bringing back one of their best players, and you run a business and you want to help the program, just just throwing it out. there. Yeah. Well, and this is and this is a guy who recorded the second ever triple double in Tech history, and like Katie yeah. said, almost had another one against Louisville, four assists away, and he really dynamic. Loves Virginia Tech. You got to think. You know, I'm sure, you know, if he's probably sitting there thinking, why would I want to come back for another year? I've already been in school long enough. Yeah, yeah. But if you entice him, right. you know, if if some donors give him, you know, a deal. If he gets paid, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if if, if a, a donor says, you know, hey, I'll give you NIL sponsorship. I mean, that is, that's huge for student athletes. I don't believe any uh, men's basketball players at Tech have one uh, Nothing major. Yeah, um, so. Uh, so I think uh, basically, and it not only helps. It would help next year's team, obviously, but it's also a recruiting thing. It's like, yeah. okay, Mike Young, you're not allowed to recruit players with NIL money and say you're going to get this, you're going to get that. But they can be told, like, okay, Justin Mutz was a really good player for us, and as a senior, he got paid this much NIL money. So if you come in and you're a good player, you, you could you have the opportunity. You, you, have, you yeah. could potentially earn that. And uh, so you not only help in the short term, you potentially help the program in the long term. Too. Yeah. And this is the type of stuff that tech donors, big donors that own businesses, need to start getting behind because fans of other schools are doing it for sure. Moving on from the Louisville game, we've seen a lot of great basketball in the month of March so far, but so far the month of March has not been good to Virginia Tech. After winning 9 of 10 in their last games, they dropped one to Clemson in what was supposed to be a must-win game. What was the problem for the Hokies in this one? I think Clemson, and you watched it at a bar, I was at PKs. Yeah, Clemson, to me, was just the more physical team, Mm -hmm. the aggressor. I think that was the most physical basketball team Virginia Tech's played all year. There have been some, some other physical teams. NC State, who and we can talk about this in a sec. Techie's going to play Clemson or NC State again in the, ter- in the tournament in Brooklyn on Wednesday. But both of those teams were very, very physical with Tech. Tech turned the ball over five times in the last couple minutes at NC State uh, in Raleigh and still won that game. But this this Clemson team just frustrated Tech. And I think one thing that stands out to me is the second half scoring was pretty much all Justin Mutz. He had 11 right. points. Sean Padula added five or six. Kevin Luma attempted two shots in the second right. half. They they really they really shut him down. And Tech had its, I believe, the most three pointers it's attempted all season. Mm-hmm. And so what, what Clemson basically did was was basically said, "We're going to shut down Kevin Luma, your second team All ACC performer, and we're going to make you score the ball other ways." Mm-hmm. Justin Mutz did it, but but Tech fired up so many three pointers and just missed. Naheem Aline had those two in the last you know minute. On same spot on the right wing, missed mm. both, and 
um, good game plan by Clemson. Sure. And, and this is, you know, if that is a way that teams are going to go, okay, well, we saw Clemson do it. Now how can now we're going to use try to replicate that, try to do the same thing. And well, I expect we're going to see the same thing on Wednesday. I'd be surprised if NC, if State, NC State, State wins. Clemson. Yeah, but even if it is NC State, NC State kind of did the same thing. They beat Clemson. They beat Tech here. They've got athletes. NC so, State does have athletes. Yeah, They're it, not very good at basketball, apparently, but they do have good athletes. They won four games in the ACC this year, but one of them was against Virginia Tech right. at home in right. Blacksburg. Right. So, yeah, I, I think I think Clemson was just the aggressor and in, in a situation on the road where it's a must-win. You know, I, one of the things, and I'm not going to criticize Mike Young for this, but I'd be interested to see for Wednesday's game, if it is Clemson, how he adjusts because I think – Tech got a little out physical, and mm-hmm. when you can't get the ball inside Dekeve Aluma and your shots aren't falling from the outside, you have to find a way to win. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what March comes down to, finding a way to win. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me was you just didn't say Keve Aluma's name very much in the second half. Um, his positioning, like he, he rarely ever caught the ball on a position to score in the second half, and I don't think that – I don't think. I know the Tech offense doesn't function very well. It can function as well when your best player doesn't catch the ball in a position to score. I mean, Kevin Aluma being dangerous in the paint opens everything up for the offense. He and Mutz are such good passers out of the post. Um, So I think it's beneficial when when Aluma is scoring because if he's scoring, then he's opening up. It opens up everything for everybody else. But, uh, yeah, so I I think the challenge – I don't think it's really an X's and O's thing. I just think the challenge is – go play more physical basketball yeah. on Wednesday than you did on Saturday. Sometimes it's it's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I maybe a little mentality thing. Right, I, right, I, I sure. think. And and to the shooting, you know, we obviously saw Shet, we we just talked about this. Tech shot very well at at against Louisville here. Mm-hmm. They made seven threes in the first half and had about the same looks in the second, made two of thirteen. Yeah. So so that's you know, when you're, it's just kind of a combination of everything. When your shots aren't falling and, and when yeah. you can't get the ball to your best player, well, it makes it difficult. Yeah, so when you can't get the ball to your best player and Couture and Padula both have bad games shooting from the outside. Yeah. And, you know, Aline was the, was the one guy who showed consistency shooting the three ball in that game. But I, I think I think Couture made a couple, but he attempted a lot. Couture was one for five. One, one for now, five. Aline was five for ten. Aline right. played very well. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But the rest of the team, you know, Storm Murphy was over for two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Padula was 0 for 3. Right. And Tech started off, you got to remember, first like six, eight minutes, Tech started off really poorly shooting. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. we didn't get to watch the, the first half. Yeah, the first because, half. because of overtime. Overtime and in the very important Boston College yeah. game. You know, uh, So I think it was the 8.30 <laughs> mark before the game finally came on TV at, at PK. So, but Will and I were keeping up with it on the phone, and it was like, seemed like it was 5 nothing Clemson forever. Yeah. And uh, Tech took, took control. It was up 33-24. So at that point, you're like, okay, tough start, but we got control yeah. of it now. But it didn't turn out that Clemson way. had a 6-0 run at the end of the first half yes. to make it 33-30 and then started, started a half on a 4-0 run. Yeah. So it was a 10-0 run over about, I think, a 150-second span mm-hmm. to end the half and start the second half. And um, you know, But this is it's a learning experience. I know Mike, Mike Young wasn't happy um, right. a- after the game. Very, very blunt, very just – you know, he didn't want to talk, he, and and I can't blame him. I mean, this is it, it's hard when your team just gets not necessarily outplayed, but just out physical, and you know you're the better team. Yeah, it's one thing if you go out there and miss shots like against North Carolina, but it's it's generally speaking, you outplay the other team. Yeah. You just don't make your shots. But Tech didn't outplay Clemson. 
and they could have outplayed Clemson. Yeah. That, that's a, that's the frustrating part. It was also like Virginia Tech kind of relapsed on what their problem was towards the beginning of the season, where they struggled in the last five minutes of yeah. the game, which they did again. Yeah. And so th- this is a bad time of the year to be having that problem come up again. And you look to Justin Mutz, of course, and he can't do it all himself. Yeah, I mean, he had 11 second half points, and I just talked talk, touched on this. I know they're you know doubling Kevin Aluma, they're helping Kevin Aluma, so he's not getting the ball in good positions. But mm-hmm. but this is a, t- a veteran team. I mean, this is. We've talked about it so many times. This is a team that starts three fifth-year seniors and two juniors. They've been in the battles before. Mm. And it was kind of strange to me that that Tech just couldn't figure out a way to adjust, a way to, to get those open looks. I think Tech missed six or seven three-pointers in the last five minutes of the game. So clear, clearly Clemson was, I don't want to say letting them shoot, but... but you know, if those three start to fall, Clemson's going to play you a little bit differently. Sure. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, if you know, you prove to Clemson that you you're not going to hit that shot, so why would why am I going to defend you? You can accuse Brad Brownell of being many things, but nobody will ever accuse him of being a bad defensive coach. Yeah, I think Clemson's generally speaking, they're always a tough physical. They play a tough physical brand of basketball, yeah. and in ways they they like remind me of Virginia Tech under Greenberg with less talent. Yeah, like uh, they play generally speaking good defense and, and they're physically tough and things like that they just haven't had the the delaney's and the jeff allen's and, and things like that um but probably going to get them again on wednesday it's again rev, i mean potential revenge game like revenge um day. i mean i mean look and again i know we'll probably get into this in a second but like if you're virginia tech that's a game you have to win. They're, yes, they, it, like it, like that was a must win, and that's only that was a quadrant two loss at right, Clemson. Right. But this is a game, you know. I'm surprised, but also you got to take into account that there were 13 bubble teams that played on Saturday, mm-hmm. and a lot of them lost. It wasn't just Virginia Tech. Yeah, a lot so, of them lost on Saturday, but then a lot of them won yesterday. Yeah. So so Tech has not in, in Joe Lenard ESPN is in his latest projections. Tech is still the last the the. Bottom team in the next four out. So Tech's yeah. four spots off the bubble. The team five spots behind. So next is Virginia. And Virginia has obviously got a chance to pick up some some meaty wins, mm-hmm. you know, some resume building wins up in Brooklyn. But if you're Virginia Tech, you slip up, your season's done. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's there's we don't know whether Saturday's Clemson game was a must win game or not, but we know this one is. Yeah. Um, now, if Tech wins in the next two or three or whatever and makes the NCAA tournament, then obviously the one we said was wasn't a must-win necessarily on wasn't must a must-win, win, right? Yeah. Um, Lunardi, uh, he works for ESPN, so he's the most famous of the bracketologists. But if you read the bracket matrix, the yeah. bracket matrix has like 110 different brackets every year. And historically, they rank each one of their bracketologists based on how accurate they are. And Lunardi ranks like 55th. Yeah, he's like right there. The there are a lot more accurate guys, yeah. and, and I, I do recommend it. It's a very interesting site to look at. But yeah. but bottom line is, this is a game Virginia Tech has, yeah. has to win because you know, and if you do win, Notre Dame right now on a neutral floor is a quadrant one win. You get another chance at a team you've beaten the last three times right. you played them, and you you beat them. I don't want to say handily, but but you outplayed them in, yes. in Castle Coliseum earlier this year. 
So last thing on the Clemson game before we get into the tournament talk, PJ Hall is one of those players that you're going to clench your fist at each time you play him because he was so close to being a Hokie, ultimately chose the Tigers and was a big reason why they prevailed on Saturday. Of course, he was dealing with a foot injury for a couple games and of course he came back for this game and <laughs> led true. them in points to yeah. win. So you think that maybe Virginia Tech could have done it, got it done if P.J. Hall was not there. Um, but want to go ahead and talk about the tournament. We obviously have gotten into it a little bit, but who should Tech fans be pulling for in the NC State-Clemson game? Do you want to play Clemson again to avenge that loss, or do you want to play NC State to also avenge that loss? When it comes down to it, like I think Clemson with P.J. Hall is clearly a better team than yeah. NC State. Um I would personally rather play NC State. Um, I've, Clemson has won, what, four in a row now? Yeah. And I've got their best player back. Um, they just beat Tech. And, I, and it's hard to beat the same team twice in a row or whatever. And Tech would still have the advantage. I mean, Clemson beat Tech, Tech by is, four Tech at is Clemson. still a better team. Right, right. So, I mean, I would I feel good about whatever game. But, I mean, when you when it comes down to when NC State finished, what, the, dead last Dead last in, in the ACC. Four and, four and 16. Right. Right now, it doesn't matter who Virginia Tech beats on Wednesday. They just yeah. have to win. Yeah. I, I think Clemson's the better matchup. Or NC State, sorry. NC State is a better matchup because Clemson is the better team. I will say this, though. NC State, both times Virginia Tech and NC State have played this year, Tech, it went down to the wire, it and, and NC State yeah. gave Tech fits. Right. And I think it's a, a kind, kind of just a style thing. Again, NC State's a, a very physical team, has Athletic. a lot of athletes. Darian Sebron, one most improved player of the year in the ACC, was a second-team All-ACC player. Yeah. He, he's he's really good. I think it's a lot like a Georgia Tech, a pit, where they've got a couple guys with talent. Michael DeVoe, Georgia Tech. Got a guy that, that can really score the ball, but outside of that, you know, it, it can they put together the pieces? I think NC State's the team you want to play because I think that's a team – got to think mentally too. Like, They've it, lost it, 10 out of NC 11. State They're checked team, out. Yeah, I mean, you, you're – Clemson you're, is not checked out. Clemson to me, like – Clemson to me, I think they like their coach and they're trying to make sure he doesn't get fired. Yeah. I, I think NC State – well, like, NC State already said Kevin Keats is coming back for another right. year. But I think this is a team. It's a very young NC State team. Do you, I mean, it, if they win, yeah. And I think that's another thing to talk about too. It, it, whoever wins is going to have a lot of momentum coming into the first game. You play the game, you're you can get you can be hot. But this NC State team, you got to imagine. You know, I, I don't think they could ma- They will match Tech this time around, punch for punch, blow for blow. Because if you got a Clemson team that's you know that, like you said, still has a lot to fight for. Mm-hmm. This NC State team, you know, you give them a punch, you go up, t- you go on a 10-0 run, and, and you're up ten. NC State, they, what, they what do they have to play out. for? Exactly, and and think about it. They've lost ten out of eleven. So if Virginia Tech ends up playing NC State, that will mean NC State won the game before. So what are the chances NC State would win two games in a row when they've only won one yeah. of their last eleven? It just doesn't. Again, I'm a law of averages type. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> I would rather play NC State. Well, looking at Virginia Tech's side of the bracket, they would have to win that game and then also beat Notre Dame to make it into the semifinals, where likely North Carolina would await. And with the way that they played on Saturday, I don't know if this is a favorable place for the Hokies to be. Uh, playing uh, playing North Carolina, I mean, you're going to have to shoot it well, obviously. Uh, and Virginia Tech, honestly, b- both both games they played North Carolina this year, they played pretty well in the, in the first meeting, but, but they ran out of gas down the stretch. And again, that was their second game coming off the COVID break. And honestly, I think they outplayed North Carolina and Castle. They just didn't make their shots. Uh, 
Duke's de- defensively, Duke was horrendous the other night. They could not stop the ball. Those Carolina guards were just getting in the lane and yeah. will and either scoring or passing. Well, and it's hard when it's a track meet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, I mean, I, th- I think Carolina is 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 better suited for a, ga- a game against against Duke. But like, so if you don't let Carolina get out and run, then you're okay. And yeah. Tech would not unless they turn it over. They wouldn't let. North Carolina get out and run. So I wouldn't feel like terrible about a matchup with North Carolina. Tech certainly wouldn't be the favorite. Yeah. But I, I would I would rather play I'd rather play them than than Duke. Yeah. Sure. I, I don't think it's a you know, I don't think I, I think seeing the way Tech played North Carolina when the two were playing in, in Castle, you know, just a couple weeks ago, Tech I think played better basketball yeah i would agree tech got the open looks tech defended i think tech has been one of the best teams i think in defending armando baycott all season long who finished second in acc player of the year voting first team all acc got the most votes he's such an animal both on the boards he had 20 rebounds in that first meeting you know second meeting tech did a much better job of rebounding and a much better job defending him and score in the first half of that game if you remember yeah and, and ultimately ultimately i think it was it was the other role players, the Brady Mannix, who, you know, just came out, hit a couple shots, and anytime and, Maliki Black makes a shot, it's, a, it's yeah, a bonus. Well, and 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 also and also Tech missing shots, Tech right. getting wide open looks and just not falling. Who knows if, if Tech and North Carolina played again, if, if the Hokies would hit more shots? But you also got to think, you know, the other team, one of the other teams in the bracket on that side is is Virginia. Virginia is the sixth seed. I wouldn't count out the Cavaliers. They have a lot to play for. They're playing pretty good basketball as of late. They can give North Carolina a run for their money. How cool would a, a Virginia Virginia Tech semifinal in Brooklyn be? Mm-hmm. I mean, both teams have everything to play for, two bubble teams. That would be fun. So, and, and Tech, you know, obviously they split earlier this season. So, I don't know. I, I think it, it's a – Tech's not on Duke's side of the bracket, so it's a very favorable path. Okay. Uh, Virginia Tech still sitting on the tournament bubble. David, you said in your Clemson recap article that 22 wins would likely get Virginia Tech into the tournament, which would mean that they are in the ACC championship game, a place that they've never been before. So what are your expectations for them going into Brooklyn? And is that a possibility? I think so. Just because of the brackets favorable. The only team Tech doesn't match up well against is Duke. And I think that's mostly just because Duke has better athletes. Oh, yeah, nobody matches up. Nobody really. matches up it well against except for Carolina. I, I think Carolina is the one team that has the talent to match up with. Duke. Yeah, and the thing is that that series this year was so weird. Like Carolina won by double digits in Cameron and Coach K's last game, but the first meeting in the Dean Duke Dome, blew Duke out. destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, I, I think that first game, that that the game on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. That first game will decide everything for Virginia Tech. If Virginia Tech can win that game, I think I think it can build up momentum. And Notre Dame, this is kind of a situation where Virginia Tech's better than a seven seed, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say Notre Dame's not as good as a two seed because Notre Dame's played very good basketball. Right. But I, but I I think those teams are closer. It's more of like a four five matchup th- than a two seven. Yeah. And you know, this is a favorable stretch here for Virginia Tech. And again, I think two I think two wins could could get you in that conversation. Depending on whatever. It all else depends does. on what happens with all the other bubble teams. It hurts when Memphis goes out and blows out Houston mm-hmm. yesterday. But it, it also helps, you know, it also helps you when Indiana doesn't win at Purdue. Right. There are there's some games that are going to help you, and some like, games that it, are going to hurt and you. And I think Indiana and Michigan are probably going to play each other in the Big Ten tournament yeah. early. And 
like the loser of that game could get knocked off the bubble. You know, because when it comes down to it, Michigan still only won, what, 17 games? Yeah. And, well, and, and, and only one team, like, in the last 15 or 20 years. I think since 2006, yeah, right? Yeah, has, has made the NCAA tournament with 17 wins, yeah. as in at large, I mean. So they've got great computer metrics and everything like that, like the Virginia Tech. But if they get stuck on 17 wins, they're not going. Yeah. I, I think, to your to your question, Katie, I, I think this is – it's achievable. And – I, we just saw Tech rip off nine wins in 11 games. You know, they're hot. It's it's hard to win in the ACC. We've said it before. It's hard to put together a run, but that's March, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it honestly comes down to can this team win two? I think two games gets you in the conversation again. I think three wins solidifies you because then you have two more quadrant one wins. Yeah. I, three wins would be a definite lock. Yeah. I, I, think two, I think two wins does it. I think I, two wins would, would be probable, yeah, in my I, I, not, I, not definite, but probable. Yeah, I think two wins gets you in that conversation, and then it comes down to what other teams are doing. But but this is a this is a tournament that's favorable for Virginia Tech. You don't have to play Duke. You don't even have to play a Miami team. That Miami might, I, In my opinion, Miami is the second most talented team in the conference because – just of the style they play, they right. they they defend you really really well, and they they have a lot of guys that can score. North Carolina, I don't think plays that great defense against right. a team like Tech. Right. I think this is a favorable matchup. It's just can the can the Hokies get hot Tuesday or not Tuesday Wednesday against Clemson or NC State? It's going to come down to physicality, and, and you're going to have to carry that forward. Yeah, you think about it, like Tech to get to the semifinals will have to play the number two seed, and this year the number two seed is Notre Dame. Generally, the number two seed in the ACC tournament, you're thinking about that team has a lead eight or final four yeah. potential, maybe even national championship potential. And you don't think that way with Notre Dame. That's not even they're not even ranked in the top twenty five. So I mean, I, I think yes, it's favorable for Virginia Tech, but it's it's kind of favorable for every other ACC team too. That's true. I mean, because it's just not there's just not a definite besides Duke. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of I, I look at some of these teams like. How did Boston College win six ACC games this year? Because the conference isn't very good. Yeah. I mean, I think as bad as NC State is, like in, in a normal ACC year, they would have only won like two games instead of four. Um, so I think it's it's open for a number of teams to make a run, and Virginia Tech is one of those teams. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Virginia and North Carolina are both sitting there licking their chops going, all right, we, we got a chance at this too. Absolutely. Same with Notre Dame. Yeah, sure. Well, Selection Sunday is officially six days away, so we'll have to see on how the Hokies fare in the ACC tournament on if they're going to get in. We'll get into women's basketball after the break, but first there was a cool media opportunity earlier last week where all 10 assistant coaches from football sat down with members of the media for some interviews. You both were there. kind of want to talk about what that experience was like to be able to sit down with all those coaches. It was very long. Three and a half hours. Before a basketball game. Before the Louisville game. Yeah, it was very, very, very long. Um... All those guys were good speakers. I thought. Um, I, I thought. I thought Marv was, was really good. I thought Sean Quinn. He actually talks like a head coach, yeah. which he has been yeah. before. Um, Stu Holtz, kind of your James Sheebist slash Charlie Wilde. He's got a Southern draw. I'll tell yeah, you that. yeah. He's an interesting guy. Um, recruiting Western North Carolina is probably ideal for his, his strong personality. Suit, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, ah, goodness. Uh, I've never really talked to Pearson Prelo before. Yeah, uh, I, met, I met him once briefly with, with a friend of mine uh, who played on the same team. Fantastic yeah, guy. Been, I know him great. really well. He's yeah, an awesome he guy. Um, it's a staff that top to bottom can talk. Um, 
I don't think from a from like a communication standpoint they're going to have an issue with recruiting or anything like that. And uh, I, I, it was interesting. I asked Joe Rudolph about recruiting Pennsylvania and Ohio because that's where he's recruited in the past for Wisconsin and Pitt. He answered my question, but before answering my question, he and he made it very very clear that. Recruiting in the state of Virginia is very, very important. So it's it's like they're all the trying to say that. There. Right, exactly. Uh, so they want to make that very, very clear that they're going to recruit the state of Virginia. Sean Quinn, probably the biggest statement of the night for me, and, I, and I'm going to write a recruiting article later this week. I just have to go through all those hours of tape and transcribe everything. Uh, Sean Quinn, I asked him about recruiting a new territory, you know, because recruiting Northern Virginia is new for him. He said – he said in the 50-plus high schools in his areas, he met it. He went and met, shook the hand of every single head coach. And that's some Jim Cavanaugh-level stuff right there for you old-school tech fans that uh, that go back to the 90s and 2000s of Jim Cavanaugh recruiting. And, and so it's good to see. I, th- I think they understand what's important as far as building relationships. And I, I got a text from uh, – a high school coach it was one of their at one of their coaching clinics in Norfolk last week and he said, Yeah, this staff they really, really get it. So I, I think all the relationships are there. Um and part of me is like, gosh, I, I wish we had these guys ten years ago when it started to drop off. I, I'm a wor- I'm a little bit worried that they won't be as effective now as they would be in the past because of NIL. Yeah. Um because what if it comes down to we have a great relationship with a running back from Northern Virginia and he's down to Virginia Tech and Penn State. And what if Penn State develops a history of getting their starting running back a whole lot of NIL money and Virginia Tech doesn't? Well, then you can throw the relationships out the window at that point because it's all about money. So I, I wish we had something like this about 10 years ago when Virginia Tech's in-state recruiting really started to, to drop off to a certain extent. But that said, relationships do matter. They still matter a lot, and I, I think this is. Uh, I don't think they could have done much better than the staff they put together, as, as far as that goes. Yeah, I, one one point on the, on the recruiting front that that'd be something not not exactly the same, but somebody like Sam Pendleton, mm-hmm. the offensive lineman from Western North Carolina, has family ties to Virginia Tech, and he's probably going to end up choosing Clemson. Uh, well, yeah, he he he's, has family ties to Virginia Tech. I think his mom went to Tech. And he grew up an NC State fan himself. So really his top three are Tech, NC State, and Clemson. But he, Clemson is considered it's the heavy Clemson. favorite. Right? He, yeah. knows, he knows less about Clemson than he does those two other schools. He has fewer relationships with Clemson, yet he's still considered a Clemson lean. And, you know, I, w- I was reading, there's a guy named Jordan Hall who goes to IMG Academy, and he's a four-star linebacker. He's originally from Fredericksburg, where he played for James Monroe. And Virginia Tech was his first scholarship offer under Justin Fuente. And I read an interview with him recently. He's like, man, yeah, I love Virginia Tech. They'll always be a special school for me because because they uh, gave me my first scholarship offer. But uh, he said, but the bottom line is, you know, they don't win enough. And he's a class of 2023 guy. Like, Virginia Tech's not going to have an opportunity to win a whole bunch of football games before he makes his decision. You know, so Virginia Tech is, for the most part, going to have to win and develop with three-star recruits before they start landing upper-level four-star guys. And that was the, that was the, the truth under Justin Fuente, and it's going to yeah. be the truth in the initial stages of the Brent Pry era, too, because there's so many – when you're a relationship type of coach, as Brent Pry is, he, he's coming in and he's recruiting against guys in a lot of cases – and he's just developing the relationship. 
Whereas, let's say he's recruiting against North Carolina or NC State for a Richmond guy or a 757 guy, and or especially the 757. Like, the 757 guys will have known the North Carolina staff and even the NC State staff for several years now. Would not probably know very much about Brent Pry. Now, it might be a little bit, it's a little bit different in Richmond because he was actively yeah. recruiting Richmond and Northern Virginia for, for Penn State. But, uh, you know, I, I think, I don't know if I expect, like, a huge, huge, huge recruiting jump because Tech signed a borderline top 25 class this year. And generally speaking, I can think of like one time ever where Virginia Tech signed a top 20 class. And so for this class, Justin Fuente, surprisingly, his last class, considering he was on the hot seat, signed a recruiting class that was on par with Tech's, from a rankings perspective, with Tech's normal recruiting classes under Frank Beamer. I don't know if I expect a huge jump in year one of Brent Pry, but I do expect, I do expect you know, a, a, maybe a better targeting of, of specific players and, and basically I expect better player development to, to go back to that old topic. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it was interesting to hear them talk about recruiting. I think it was interesting to, to hear them talk about player development. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was just uh, so many different backgrounds, not one single coach. And you always think like, you know, you can go back to this at Virginia tech, even with, with buzz, Williams taking his assistance to Texas A&M with them after mm-hmm. bringing them from Marquette. You can go to even Justin Fuente bringing some of his Memphis assistants. Brent Pry didn't bring anybody. Brent Pry brought connections, right? And he brought, you know, Chris Marv, a guy he coached at Vanderbilt. Tyler Bowen, a guy he coached with at Penn State. Obviously, he knew J.C. Price and Pearson Prelude from Virginia Tech from being a grad assistant. But Stu Holt, they've got the Western Carolina connection. Um, Brad Glenn and Joe Rudolph were the two guys, you know, he, they had never crossed paths before. But you look at a guy like Fontel Mines, worked for, worked for Ricky Ronnie, who is the offensive coordinator at Penn State when Pry was a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, Sean Quinn, they, they coached together, you know, in two places, Louisiana Lafayette and, um, and Georgia Southern. You know, so many different connections. And, and to hear the guys talk about, um, and, and that was kind of a recurring question I asked, to hear, to hear the guys talk about, their connections and what it's like in those meeting rooms with so many different like ideas and, 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 and all these different kind of like just everybody's throwing stuff at the wall and then they're picking the best stuff. It's very intriguing because it's like, it's not going to, I don't, I don't think it's going to be your normal offense, your normal defense or whatever. It's going to be like a mesh of all these ideas. Right. And I think that's important. When Fuente came here, he retained Bud and Charlie and then, you know, brought as Memphis guys. Yeah. So there's really, there's like no new ideas when you hire a staff like that. Um, because Bud and Charlie had been here for a couple of decades. They're not really going to have any new ideas. And then the whole Memphis staff had already been coaching together for Memphis. Uh, there was nobody hired from the outside at another school saying, you know, we were doing this at Wisconsin and th- this might work here. Um, now you got to be careful that you don't have like too many chefs in the kitchen, so yeah. to speak. But uh, I, I do think he, he's for, not only from a regional recruiting standpoint, but you know from a coaching standpoint, you bring in guys that that can cover a whole lot of bases. Um, I, I think I really like the way he put together his staff from a recruiting standpoint. Like you've got a state of Virginia focus, but it's not like all ten guys have recruited have recruited Virginia, Virginia with, with like no experience and. Yeah. Ohio or North Carolina or the Southeast. You've got Derek Jones and Sean Quinn 
who've recruited the Southeast a lot. And you've got Joe Rudolph, who's recruited Pennsylvania and Ohio a lot. And you've got Tyler Bowen that has recruited Maryland a lot. So they, they did a really good job putting their – like painting the map, yeah. so to speak, with guys and, and experience in each of those areas. Yeah. Last thing before we toss it over to Nick, we are in the midst of winter conditioning, even yes. though it's a beautiful 70 degrees in Blacksburg today. Mm -hmm. The hunger drills is what Coach Pry has come up with to name these workouts. What did you think of the list of victors that were announced after the first two weeks? Okay, so we have uh, the week one hunger drill winners. I'll read them off one by one. Jordan McDonald, Nasir Peoples, Connor Blumrick, Caleb Smith, Dax Holyfield, Wilfred Panay, Cole Nelson, Peter, Ga uh, Peter Moore, Nick Gallo, Jalen Holston, Nadir Thompson. Week two winners, Jordan McDonald, Will Ross, who's a specialist, Caden Moore, Grant Wells, Dwayne Lofton, Bryce Duke, Will Johnson, Drake Dulius, Cole Nelson, Mario Kendricks, Breon Murray, Nike Hawkins. Um, two guys have, have won in both weeks, Jordan McDonald and Cole Nelson. Um, so to me, like, those two guys, you, you put them into the starting lineup when spring practice starts. Because I just, you know, Jordan McDonald is playing the, the Sam linebacker spot and Cole Nelson is a defensive end. I, I think that's how you establish your program culturally is these guys, they busted their butts more than anybody else in the offseason. So they deserve first crack at those uh, starting positions. Now, it's up to them to keep them by their performance, but it's only fair, I believe, that they be given, be given first crack at it. And... I can't tell if, like, they're naming one guy at each position because in, in some spots it's like, yeah, there's one defensive end per week, there's one defensive tackle per week, there's one different quarterback per week, there's one different tight end per week. But at the same time, there was, like, no offensive lineman yeah. in week one, I, but there was one in week two. I wonder if they just – That might have just been Joe Rudolph saying, you know what, nobody deserved one Well, this I, I also wonder if it's just, like, you split them up in, into – you just kind of yeah. split them up into different groups. Right. Like, I don't know if it's – the wide receivers all compete against each other right. or something like um, that. So, t yeah, who knows? Um, but to me, like, because you have two starting cornerback positions on your team, right? Well, you got Breon Murray winning week two, and you got Nadir Thompson winning week one. So, as of right now, those are my two starting cornerbacks when yeah. spring practice starts. And I know they're not Tech's two best corners um, because Tech's two best corners are, are, in my opinion, you know, Dorian Strong and Armani Chapman. But I think when you're trying to establish a culture, th these guys have earned it with their yeah. hard work, right? Now, I'm confident that, that probably Chapman and, and Strong would, would eventually win those positions. But, I, you know, I think this fire it would fire a shot across everybody else's bow that say, look, hard work is rewarded in this program. And that's how you run a football program at the highest level. People will talk about recruiting and blah, blah, blah. But uh, this is how – I mean, that's how you win football games is, is off-season culture. And all, all coaches say that. All coaches pay that lip service. But not, I think not all coaches really treat it like they should. I, I don't. Th I think that was Virginia Tech's biggest issue under Fuente is not holding enough guys accountable for things yeah. like that. Were, were there running backs on that list? Yes. Bryce uh, Duke. Jalen Holston in week one and Bryce Duke in week Which two. Which is interesting because I was just – going to touch on this Stu Holt I, I thought Stu Holt was one of the most interesting guys to talk to and we asked somebody asked him kind of just about where the running backs are right now and if anybody stood out he mentioned Jalen Holston and Bryce Duke those were so, his first two guys he so mentioned. so there's uh you know I would be very surprised if Bryce Duke doesn't uh play this year yeah yeah 
always be red. I, I, I can see Will, <laughs> Will smiling uh, back behind there. <laughs> um, but Bryce Duke is going to be physically ready to play. Yeah. And uh, he's he's more physically ready as a guy who should still be in high school right now. He's more physically advanced than Kashawn King, who's been in the program for three years. He's more physically advanced than than some of those you know other backs in the program. And I I think he'll see the field this year. Um, Holston will be interesting. He's always been one of the hardest working guys in the program, no question. But then the but then you get into actual on field production. I mean, he basically got benched halfway through the season this past this past year. So. Uh, We'll see. And obviously there's Malachi Thomas, who played well for Virginia Tech. Very well. He's the one that put Jalen Halston on the but bench. But Stu Holt right? did say, you know, he'd like to – and I, I will read this. I took I, – I have I have my list of notes. Mm-hmm. Stu Holt said he prefers – because somebody asked him about the rotation. He said, to, depends on what you're going with. He would like six – ideally six backs. Um Usually, Not on the rotation, but on the roster. Well, oh, yeah, yes. sorry, on the <laughs> roster. Uh, but in, in terms of rotation, he usually – would like he usually says somebody's usually going to separate themselves. Yes. So, but he's going to go with the hot hand, and, and he kind of mentioned the three attributes he really likes that stand out. Um, you know, you're tough enough in between the tackles. You don't get caught, and you got good vision. So he yeah. said it's hard to find a combination of the three, but there's definitely going to be a, a lot of you know, yeah. You know, he finding he, out. He this had spring. He had five 1,000 yard rushers in four years at App State. So that means one year he had two backs go for a thousand yards, and he went over each one of those running backs with the media, and not, and he said not one of those backs met every single one of his criteria, but they all met like two of his three, or three of his four, or, or whatever yeah, it was. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know you don't have to be perfect to have like really good production as a running back. Um, now I, th- I think if we look back. Uh, in five, four years from now and say, hey, Tech had five. I don't think we're going to say Tech had five, five 1,000-yard rushers in four years. I'll take it if they do. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's got some uh, – it's – I don't want to use the term weeding out, but that's kind of what it is because you've got nine running backs on the roster, which yeah. is, by his admission, too th- much. three too many. Too many, yeah. All right, well, well, before we take our break, we'll go ahead and toss it over to Nick in the fourth chair. What do you have for us today, Nick? Uh, Just a few Scott Glessner stats. Uh, I mean, this one, the first one's a toss-up, really. Uh, Tech is 7-5. I'm going to talk basketball first. 7-5 in their opening ACC games after losing uh, the regular season game. I mean, that's that's 50-50. I mean, that's just whatever the seed was that year. And then uh, Virginia Tech has only had one year. 2016, the NIT year of winning the last four regular season games in the ACC. They're also five and thirteen in their last regular season games of the ACC. Wow! So since being an ACC, Damn. they've only won five of them, which is it, it, pretty fascinating to think about. I mean, you had that stretch between 2009 and 2012, pretty darn good, but they dropped two in the 2011 one that oh yeah after, after that, beating duke and that oh you're them, definitely in the NCAA tournament that kicked him out of and the then, tournament no. and then, <laughs> yeah and then you have the buzz era and you still don't have a lot of, i don't know i thought that was pretty yeah, interesting I think, I think i think that's very in, interesting i was also going to mention acc acc tournament has haunted tech in the past yeah just like brooklyn has haunted tech in the past just what was well specifically like one of the teams tech might play is notre dame Last time Tech played Notre Dame in the <laughs> ACC tournament, Bonzi Colston was that the Bonzi Colston, and they had lead. the uh, 
the the point guard. I forget. I can't remember. I don't his remember. Name, I remember yeah. Bonzi Colston had been hurt. Remember? And yeah. He came and he back came for back game. for the Tech game, and he was way out of shape. And Tech <laughs> had a big lead at halftime. Tech, it was yet, twenty point plus or something. Bonzi, like he was running on fumes. I don't yeah. know. Still don't know how Tech managed to lose that game. Yeah. And and I was just gonna say, just in terms of the ACC tournament. I mean, I was in Charlotte in twenty nineteen. Uh, when Florida State hit that dagger, uh, you know, and then there's the Tyler, Tyler Hansborough, and the list just goes on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. So Thanks for those memories. Well, and then yeah. Brooklyn, everybody's like, oh, don't worry. Tech will get used to the Brooklyn for the tournament and the preseason tournament, and then they get right. smacked by Memphis. Xavier Memphis. <laughs> yeah. Xavier. So sums up with New York. Uh, and then I know Katie wanted me to touch on this. Of course, you can't go over the combine without mentioning that. Uh, the 40-yard dashes. Now, I will say, when I read that Amari Barno broke the D-line record, I'm like, I, I don't know. He, he's going to play linebacker in the NFL, outside linebacker. But then he broke the linebacker 40-yard dash as well with that, too. I'm like, holy crap, okay. That's Tremendous legit. Athlete. That's legit. So, uh, yeah. at 4-3-7. And then Trey Turner with the uh, Wendy special, 4-4-4. Four, four, four. Four, four, yeah. um, Good on them. Yeah, I have props to him with that. Uh, Barno also looked like he was bulked up a little bit in the upper body. He was listed at 246, and I think he was listed at 240 at Tech this past year. Yeah, he looked a little stronger. So uh, he's bulked up. Some of those other guys, I don't know what they did the last three months (laughs) since they left Virginia Tech. Like, how how do you go from being listed at 190 to 179 as a wide receiver? How is Jermaine Waller 175 pounds? Like... Did you do it? Yeah, like, what were uh, you I, doing? I don't. I don't know. I, I'm just so ready to close the book on that old era of strength and conditioning <laughs> and move on to a new one. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was. Uh, I mean, it, it's not big time in the long run, but it still puts like, yeah. hey, Virginia Tech. You know, that's still name recognition out there, and uh, and I know speed isn't everything, but that boosts a lot of draft yeah. stock, and that is especially like the number one thing. Especially when you're a D lineman. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Fin- uh, yeah. Are there any questions? Uh, yeah, there were a few. I was going to save them towards the end. You okay. Actually, you mentioned a lot of them uh, for a little bit about, like, Keve Loomer, Mutz coming back, and then uh, what was uh Here we go. Shoot, there was one that you already mentioned. Oh, yeah, what do they have to do in the ACC tournament? You Katie asked your questions. And then, oh, no. But there is one here, Mr. Coleman, for you. Uh, with the return of Mr. Ferguson, is there any hope of a traditional fullback role? Under Coach Bowen, <laughs> no. <Man. laughs> the fullback role is is dead in college football. Yeah, for the most. I mean, I, I don't think you can you can isolate like. Yeah, you can have a fullback, but he also needs to be a tight end and an H back. And like yeah. these days, your H backs do what your fullbacks were going to do. So a, Con- just, a Connor Blummer uh, role? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nah, he would have to put on. People talk about him in that role, but like he's six five two fifteen. Yeah, that's outside receiver size. That yeah. that that's not and more of a tight end. Size. And te- besides, Tech's already got two good tight ends. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. It's gonna be a little tangent right here, but I always find it fascinating that. You know, six five. That's pretty tall. That's a good, high, really great height for a wide receiver. That's <laughs> like tight end. That's, that's like a yeah. That's a two for a two guard in yeah. in college basketball. Like, yeah, I just yeah, think it's true. so funny how like Sean Padula is like a pretty solid height for a wide receiver. Right. It's always weird seeing them line up next hmm. to each other. Well, you know, I, I remember going to the first basketball game this season and seeing Couture and uh, Naheem Ali, and I'm like. <laughs> Outside of Caleb Smith, those guys look more like outside receivers than <laughs> actual outside receivers on the football team. They're conditioning. But, uh, yeah, that's all I've uh, got for right now. I have more to talk about for ACC women's basketball now. 
Dave and I had a free fun time down there this weekend. Yeah, so which we'll, we'll get to though. after the break. We're going to go ahead and take a break here on episode 228 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. When we come back, we'll talk women's hoops and softball. Make sure you stay with us here on episode 228 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us here on episode 228 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Moving on to women's basketball, this team is so much fun to root for. They got the dreaded 5C going into the tournament after dropping that close one to NC State at home, which had them taking on Clemson, who they dominated in the first half, but the main takeaway from this game was losing Kayla King. Yeah, she's – and I know we'll get to the the – Next game, who are they? Uh, UNC. UN, yeah, North Carolina. Oh, how, how can I forget? Yeah, <laughs> watch. We watch so many basketball games. <laughs> Too many. Um, yeah, I mean, just you know, it didn't look. It, it, it's not too bad. It's. I think it's just she's she's just in a boot right now. It's her right ankle. She wasn't um, even wearing a boot before the NC State game. Yeah, she was just and, and, and she she and obviously we'll get to it. But Elizabeth Kitley, you know, got hurt. Uh, right shoulder in the North Carolina game, and so you lose two of your starters. But that Clemson game, Virginia Tech played really well. I mean, this is a Clemson team they dominated by 30 um, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, Kayla, Kayla King going out was just one of many injuries um, in, in Greensboro for Tech. But the good news is, you know, she wasn't wearing a, a ankle brace or – anything even a boot you know the other day when she was warming up for the nc state game so that's good news yeah and uh coach kenny brooks obviously said like we just didn't want to risk anything i think they just put kitley and king in warm-ups to be like hey nc state look who we have like just i also think they want they wanted to see him get him to get loose and you know not have him just sit on the sideline stay cold uh so i think they'll both be back uh, for the NCAA tournament. And when King went out, you still had Kitley, so you still felt fine Like going into UNC. You're like, ah, oh, don't worry. like We've got plenty of guard depth. Kiana Trailer, by the way, was absolutely fantastic. I think she averaged 17, 18 points yeah. during the tournament. Unbelievable. Um, second team all tournament. But, um, yeah, so without King, you had the depth and guard. You were fine. Even brought in Taylor Guyman at one point as well, too, in the uh, NC State game. But then you lose Kitley with 0.3 seconds left to go in the first, first quarter. Point, yeah. I mean, it was this close from not even happening, and then that in freak accident happens, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap, we're down eight going into halftime against UNC without Kitley, yeah. the player of the year. I mean, it's that got crazy. But, and then, but they well, play, I will yeah. say, you got to give them credit. They, oh, they sure. played a heck of a tournament. I know we're going to get in the North Carolina game. That was crazy. The North Carolina game was was a mess. Were you on the call for that? I one? was on the call. For yeah. That. So Nick was on the call for thirty three or four for that one. But I mean that that just uh, I don't know if you were watching Katie, but that was just like craziness. The fact that Tex without King without Kitley, you know they were down eight at halftime and marches all yeah march all the way back and then the, Georgia Amor you know slices through the defense, cuts to the rack, lays it up, which is a couple seconds left. Then North Carolina calls timeout, inbounds from the front court. And Alyssa Usby just, I mean, what a shot. Yeah. And then it goes to overtime, and then Tech dominates North Carolina in overtime without two starters. 14 free throws in the overtime period. Now, of just, course, I know UNC was fouling a little bit at the end, but still they drew up so yeah. many penalties. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, we thought that game was, like, the craziest game. We're like, wow, that's one of the best basketball games we ever watched. And then two games later, Louisville My, Miami, is yeah. up 15 on Miami with four minutes to go, and somehow they lose that game at the buzzer beater. I mean, that was unbelievable. I mean, the tournament was just fantastic all around. They were great games. But, uh, yeah, I was so proud of how 
they battled back not only just being down but without two starters player of the year in the ACC Kitley and still managed to come in they had they gave up eight offense rebounds eight or nine offense rebounds in the first half to UNC only two in the second half and then I think one or two in two overtime in, two in overtime so that defense adjusted and they switched to a zone um, and that really locked down UNC's glass and rebounding right there um, but then NC State I mean UNC's good don't get me wrong top 10 in the net I think top five in the net as well but NC State's just a, a different animal altogether you go in and I will say they held their ground really really well up until halftime and but that I mean you need Kitley for that one and I argue you also need King for that even though Count Trailer's fantastic you just don't have the depth and they're exhausted I mean George Amor played all 45 minutes of the UNC game did not sit down and then yeah. she's like oh yeah you got to go by the way against you could argue one of the best probably the best team in the country I think personally yeah. NC State Really get back towards that UNC game. Definitely what maybe one of the best ACC women's tournament games to date. But then of course you have Louisville <laughs> losing. Um, Georgia Amore and Asia Shepard both with twenty two points. Trailer with nineteen. I think it really speaks to the depth that Kenny Brooks has been able to establish on this team and just the culture of them as a whole and really wanting to play for each other. Speak on, you know, the impact of that. Yeah, well I think Kiana Trailer, um, we've seen her be really, really good, but but Kenny and Kenny's talked about this so many times. She's a player that was an all Big Ten guard at Purdue, and yet she decides to come to Virginia Tech, and she's going to go to her first ever NCAA tournament. You know when Tech gets selected next week, um, and this is somebody who hasn't started all season really. I mean, she's started here and there in spots when Tech's needed her to, but hasn't been a consistent starter and. She needed to start, you know, multiple games this over the past couple of days, and she did, and she did well. Um, really provided an extra effort. Taylor Guyman came out and played well. Emily Lytle's defense was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Tech Tech was down in so many different ways, and I, I think it was a a turning point. I, I think it might end up being a turning point in their season. Just the way that you know they they were so. They could have been beaten. They could have given up in so many different ways. I mean, you're down at halftime without your player of the year and without another starter, and you find a way to come back and win. That just speaks to the to the togetherness of this team. And you know, if they can if they can keep the ball rolling when Elizabeth Kitley and Kayla King do get healthy, which I believe will be for the NCAA tournament, yeah. they'll they'll be in really good shape. I saw Kitley, King, and Amor. They were all sitting mid-court about two rows up for the championship game and they both just, all three of them just looked depressed down in the dumps and it was just it was hard to see but um you know that they're gonna come out and, and guns blazing in the ncaa tournament and what was neat was you know the men they have to battle in the ac tournament to even just get a bid in the ncaa tournament meanwhile they're the girls are fighting for home court advantage and you already know, oh, they've got a lock in the NCAA tournament. So it's just like, do you want that home court base? And, I mean, it all comes down to seeding. And if the committee is like, well, I think they do deserve four. Right now they're on that five. I think they're five seed. They're five seed. So there's still hope that they could get it. Um, but that's up to the committee. Um, but, yeah, that UNC game, it, it really just showed how, I think, how good Virginia Tech is. Top to bottom, you take out Kitley and – Virginia Tech started rebounding better 
them without Kitley. And, and uh, Emily Lytle emerged. And she, Emily Lytle came in 1,100 points plus at her Liberty career, first team conference, ASUN or whatever yeah. Liberty's in. Um, and you had high hopes for her. She had a few all right games. And, um, and she only scored four against UNC. But she got an offense rebound and clutch time off of a missed free throw and a putback to, I think, tie the game at one point or something like that. It was either an overtime or a game. The game was tied. Yeah. And, and after free throws from DeAsia Gregg. And yeah. I told, I asked Kenny Brooks about it, and he said that was the turning point of the game. But yeah. 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 I mean, it was unbelievable. And then Asia Shepard, who her fifth year, yes, she won the accolades. She's all time scorer, all time three point leader in the ACC. But it was such a down year compared to her other years shooting percentage wise um i mean if it, i could have you know you look at nahimaline and her shooting numbers kind of similar compared to last year's um but then she goes unbelievable and uh, in the tournament you would see she hit three free throws with like a minute and a half left or something text down three she hits all three free throws to tie the game um and then she's hitting Fadeaway three is unbelievable. Like, she looked like her old self again, and and that's what you want, of course, going into the NCAA tournament. And uh, they really hit their stride. NC State, it sucks to lose that game, and it sucks to not get to the championship. But I mean that Westmore has just built an unbelievable program down there at Raleigh. That um, even losing how they did in the semifinals, I thought was admirable for how they fought in the first half, and then uh, even in the third quarter. Speaking on that NC State game, the Hokies really started out good on defense. Elisa Cunane was only 3 of 11 in shooting, and going into halftime, it was only a four-point game. You start to think that maybe they can pull this one out, even without Liz Kitley and without Kayla King, but NC State really took control in the second half. Cunane won tournament player of the uh, – she was – she proved that she was good, and she had double-double there and was, I think, one or two rebounds shy of another double-double in the championship game, and she was – she's unstoppable. And without Kitley down there, Deja Gregg just she's good, very athletic, just doesn't match up well. Azana Baines, I will say, had a fantastic first half. She pinned the ball on Kunane two or three times in the first half, some big time blocks. But Kunane's like she's a wooden award watch list finalist for a reason. She's top four players right now in the country. And uh, she just asserted her dominance and Virginia Tech just ran out of gas. Yeah, and I think, you know, the it, it wasn't necessarily turnovers as it had been in previous games. It was more of the rebounding. Tech mm-hmm. just didn't have the bodies. Tech didn't have the height. And when you take Elizabeth Haley out of the lineup, it doesn't necessarily hurt. I mean, it hurts because she's so talented. Tech could still find ways to succeed, but the problem was you're now defensively giving up height and size and just rebounding ability offensively it, i think it kind of let tech play more more fluid because you don't necessarily have to go inside but you also take away one of your best weapons so mm-hmm. um you know but the fact that you know tech was tech played a really really close game and essentially rebounding i think was was the big difference nc state just got second chance opportunity second chance opportunity and that's what's going to happen when you're missing you know acc player of the year but um, NC State showed it yesterday. They won the ACC tournament and third straight championship for Westmore. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's why they're they're such a really good team. 
Well, with the win in that game, the Hokies would have advanced to the ACC championship game and gotten Miami, who they have beaten before. You hate to talk about the what-ifs, mm. but had Liz, Kitley, had Liz Kitley not gotten hurt and had Kayla King not gotten hurt, maybe the confetti would have flown in Virginia Tech's direction. Yeah, I think I think Tech, I mean, just the way they were playing, I, I think if the Hokies can replicate the, the energy, the mentality, the way they played against NC State, the Hokies are going to be a really hard team to beat in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. simply because they've got the talent, they've got a lot of depth, and then they've got, you know, you have this mentality where it's just we're playing for each other, you can't lose. I think that's something you can't replicate. And, um, you know, I, I think if Tech had ended up – I think if Tech had Kitley and King, I think it probably would have beaten NC State because I don't think you lose for the, to the same team for a third straight time this season. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and then Miami. Miami is hot, but – but the Hokies, I think, would have would have been able to handle it. I mean, you're always going to say "what if," but I mean that could have been a you know potential ACC tournament, you know, championship. But it happens, and you know now now you move on. And I, I think in, in Tech's mind, I think it's really good that the injuries as of now they don't appear to be crazy serious. Where players are out for the season, hopefully everybody's safe and healthy and ready to go by the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and you know it was a 15 point loss. I mean. You, you could say, oh, well, Kitley would have given us 12 points and King would have added six more or whatever. But And I, I agree with him that you're not going to lose three times, that, especially how close the first two games really were. And you were buzzer beater three away from beating them in Blacksburg. Um, but is this how it is? And then uh, props to Miami, by the way. We were watching that comeback. I leaned over to Dave and Jack when they went down. 15 with like four minutes ago. I was like, oh, that's ball game against Louisville. And then the 17-0 run, and I've never seen press row or just a collective like, oh, my gosh, when they tied the game and then hit the buzzer. It was unbelievable. Uh, it, so props to them for taking care of Louisville, the two-seed and number four in the country. Notre Dame, And then too. beating Notre Dame, another top 25 team in the country as well. Uh, but, again, with them, it was close at halftime, and then NC State pulled away. Again, tired nc state only had to play two games before that they had to play an extra game against and then they also had to play another top four team in the country that was a gauntlet uh, of a tournament that they had to go through but still to get the championship was unbelievable Uh, i thought really the turning point in the tech nc state game there was about a 4-0 run i think to start the second half for nc state after um tech got it within one with an and one by trailer uh to go up five or whatever and then um, they got four offensive rebounds in one possession, and Kunane put it back for an and one. And I think I counted three possessions in the Tech NC State game. Are you talking about rebound? Four or five offensive rebounds in one possession. And it all resulted in second chance points or quadruple chance points or whatever you want to talk about, say call it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the rebounding. And every three pointer, if you watch, Tech shot so poorly from behind the arc in that game. Every three came up short. Everything, and that's all in your legs, and that all comes down. Uh, I remember in stupid rec basketball, my dad would yell at me to jump higher, and I didn't understand that. But you get it; you, you don't think about it when you're shooting, but when the, the shots are coming up short, it's not in your arms; it's all in your legs. Well, the women's team did not walk away with an ACC title, but they did walk away with a trio of awards. Georgia Amor, Georgia Amor was first team ACC all-tournament team, and then Kiana Trailer and Asia Shepard both on second team. So they did receive some recognition, which was, I think, the first time that we've ever had three on that 
yeah, team. Yeah, and, and the first time Tech's ever had George Amor, first ever player to make first team all tournament. So, I mean, that just, again, you know, it's kind of the same point, but that just speaks to how good this team is, how much depth they have, and if they're healthy, how much damage they can do in the NCAA tournament. Did you vote for them to be first team and take team? I voted for Sorry, Balik, I voted for Amor and Trailer. Shepard was going to be the, the the next choice I had. Um, she didn't have a great game against NC State, but she did play really well against North Carolina. But um, but yeah, it, it's uh, you know it, it's really good. You know, th- Tech just um, Tech women's basketball tweeted something out a little bit ago that. ESPN put out their power rankings and the Hokies are 13th. And that just goes to, I mean, that's just national recognition on, on a, on a big stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, they've played in big games before, but a lot of those were back in the nineties and early two thousands. And now they're kind of getting that national recognition again. For the men, their tournament hopes are still up in the air, but the women are for sure going dancing. We don't know their seating yet, but they could potentially be hosting a tournament game in Blacksburg if they make it into the top 16. How cool would that be? Either host or go to College Park. Yeah. Because that would be just a short trip up the road. That would be nice. Right? Yeah, right now Charlie Cream of ESPN has has Tech playing as a five seed in Maryland College Park. Um, as a, the Maryland would be the four. But I don't, I don't think Tech will host just because um, – you know, they're they're better teams, um, and, and Tech's right on that edge. If Tech had beaten NC State, they would have definitely. But yeah. it would it would it would be really cool if that ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, it's luck of the draw. You just wait till Sunday. You hope you get it. If not, you just hope the game is close. Then, um, and then you hope you're in the East bracket because the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight is in the East is back at Greensboro. That'd be nice. And so that's another just two hour and a half drive right there that we both made yesterday. There you go. Well, wrapping up women's basketball and moving on to softball. The softball team also traveled down to Clemson this weekend. In addition to the men's team, they had a better result, um, walked away undefeated in the series. Definitely an impressive trio of wins for a team who is also ranked in Clemson. Yeah. Beating them. Well, and this is a, a top 15, 20 match. And I believe Will tweeted out earlier that in the last, the last uh, three the, – the last five, Will's point. Last five times Virginia Tech and Clemson have played in softball, and this is a Clemson program that you know just started up a couple years ago. Last five regular season games, regular season games per Will. Uh, Tech's outscored Clemson twenty-seven to four, and, and I actually know Valerie Cagle, the Clemson pitcher. Um, we grew up a little bit together. She was private school, but or homeschooled, but. Um, but she's really, really good. Last year, won first team All American, won ACC freshman of the year and ACC player of the year. First time it's ever been done before. And she's a really good hitter. She's a really good pitcher. But when she plays it, a team like Tech, you know, Tech played really, really well. Hit well. The pitching was good. Emma Lemley played the second game, won 6 nothing, 10 strikeouts, shutout. I mean, that's, that's as good of a performance as you can ask for. Obviously, we know how good Keely Rochard is, but just all around, especially after a midweek loss at, at Charlotte, who's receiving votes in in a lot of the polls, really strong performance this weekend from Tech softball. And let me jump in here right now and say that the first official softball RPI was released this morning by the NCAA. Guess where Virginia Tech ranks? I think Will. Will Texas. Number, number one. one. Virginia yeah. Tech is number one in the RPI in softball. How about that? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. and, and it, but that also goes to, I mean. But a really tough schedule. And that's yeah. credit to Pete DeMore because you played number one Alabama 
twice or number two Alabama twice, and you lost by a combined score of three to nothing. Mm-hmm. You played it's at Alabama too. Yeah, at Alabama, you've played that first tournament. They played three Big Ten teams and two SEC teams and beat them all. I mean, this is Destroyed them too. this is a team who who they've literally played everybody and. Two of their three losses are to the number two team in the country. They just swept a ranked Clemson team. I mean, they're, they're really good. And I think it comes down to timely hitting. I mean, that's baseball and softball yeah, in general. Right. But, um, you know, in that Alabama series, they lacked a little bit of it. Um, they lack, they, they've they lacked a little bit of it at times so far this season. They did it against Charlotte. But this weekend, I, I think Tech proved really on a national stage right. how how good it can be. We know how good the pitching is, but if, if the hitting can come together, I think it, they're going to have a really good season. Yeah, and you touched on how Clemson's just like this new startup program. They got rid of it. Clemson got rid of it to boost football numbers, and then that worked, and then they got money, so they put Clemson back in. But props to them for building up. They're number nine in the higher rankings. They're nine and 13, so that's a still top 13 win, depending on whatever rankings you base yourself off of. Um, so that's a huge boost. I know Virginia Tech will definitely get lifted in the rankings as well. And um, I guess searching for number one, uh, Alabama's pretty darn good. Well, and Oklahoma's number one. <laughs> Oklahoma's good. Those two UCLA teams are really good. But but this is again a team that we saw how close they were to to going to the College World Series last year. I mean, you keep it up, yeah, you, you'll be you'll be. I don't and, know what the softball term is. And the reason dancing, you lo- <laughs> you lost to UCLA last year in the Super Regional was and you won the first game, but they pitching, had lack of pitching depth. Yeah. UCLA had. Two, you, three you, but, great pitchers. But you've got it now. Now you do. So now you could take on those UCLA's and maybe, I don't know, you could even sweep them in the Super Regionals. You get to there. And um, I know JMU's definitely not even on the level at Tech is, but you saw what JMU did. He got to the World Series last year. Yeah. And, and yeah, so a lot um, of potential. Tech's a lot more talent. So, I mean, I, I, everybody points to wrestling or whatever, but I think softball, softball. man, you want, you want to root for the most successful program at Tech right now? be softball for a while we talk about pitching and how much keely rochard is really a cornerstone piece to this piece to this program but how nice is it to be able to put your full confidence also in mlmley so that keely can have those resting opportunities and you can still um have confidence after she tossed a three hit shot out on saturday yeah well it's everything keely pitched friday and um keely, keely pitched friday and sunday and and before and again in a series like this keely would have had to go every game now you've got the luxury of throwing in a pitcher, a freshman, true freshman, mind you, and she doesn't give up a single hit against a top 20 team. I mean, that is not a luxury that a lot of teams have. That just goes to show you recruiting and just development and, and really how good this, this team is top to bottom. Yeah, you lose Keeley this year. That sucks. But, yeah, with ML Emily, or yeah, that um, going up, um, you know, Next four years, yeah, including this year, you had one, two more. Then all of a sudden, and of course, the name Virginia Tech is starting to get more national recognition uh, all over. If you look at NCAA softball's Twitter account, I mean, yes, they're going to post a lot about Oklahoma and the top dogs, but Virginia Tech's getting a whole lot more national recognition. And like Chris always likes to harp on, name recognition is best for recruiting, and Virginia Tech's certainly getting up there. Jamie Bailey led the Hokies on, on at the plate on Friday, going one for three with the home run and four RBIs. She's one of those veteran seniors that's really going to be able to make some noise this season. Yeah, when she and Kelsey Bennett and, Kel, and Kelsey Brown and Darby Truel, I mean, there are a lot of them. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, Chip Grubb does a fantastic job covering 
um, Tech Softball for us, and he was down there. Um, and this is a, a tech group that Pete Moore said they're just trying to – he's trying to figure out the best combination because you've got so many veterans that, that it's really tough to pick out which ones – like you're trying to find the right, right combination, which ones mesh the best. But, I mean, Jam- Jamie Bailey is one of those that, you know, really stood out this weekend. Kelsey Bennett's done so. Emma Ritter. I mean, there, there are a lot of really good players on this team, and, and that showed this weekend. Well, after being on the road for their first 17 games, the Hokies will finally have their season opener at home. They return to Blacksburg for a doubleheader against Norfolk State on Wednesday before series with Syracuse this weekend. So good opportunities to extend that win streak there. Meanwhile, baseball, who's been at home for forever, it seems like, travels down to Atlanta this weekend to take on a really good Georgia Tech team. So that'll be an interesting challenge for them to see how they fare before we close, I want to get to some of the YouTube questions with Chris, who's actually in the fourth chair now. Yes. Is there anything good in the chat, Chris? Um, There's actually been no new questions in the YouTube <laughs> chat, but there are some uh, message boards. What I was going to say, do you want to message, m- mention Drew, Drew Hackenberg? Hackenberg for- I do want to mention Drew Hackenberg. Thank you for reminding me. True freshman pitcher for Virginia Tech baseball has three starts this year. I believe has a 0.83 ERA. 17 innings pitched, only one walk. Whew. And, and to me, that's that's the key to pitching is don't walk people. Like, you know, with, with metal bats, you're going to give up some hits and some home runs sometimes in college. But just don't walk people and make them two-run home runs and three-run home runs and things like that. Obviously, Tech hasn't played the bit greatest competition so far, although Wright State did win their conference last year. Yeah. Um, we'll find out more about Tech's pitching, obviously, this week against Georgia Tech because, you know, that's a team that can all – is always good generally um but drew hackenberg so far looks like the real deal mm-hmm. now scouting reports in baseball can sometimes take a month or two yeah to, to get really out. get out there and everything but uh very optimistic on the start to his career so. i think he also had a sports center top 10 play with this over the shoulder catch oh as a bounce in the air and he caught it and then threw out the he can do yeah. it all. Yeah. Him a gold glove, and so. it, he's like I, I credit my brothers for teaching me how to catch balls overhead yeah uh do you have uh, actually? I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna uh, bump this, but Chris Hirons actually wrote a, a good feature on him a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, what what subscriber questions do we have? Subscriber questions. Let's see. Switching gears. Do you think any of the incoming freshman class of defensive linemen will will play this year? Now, uh, that's more of a question for you. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> Tee yourself up. Yes. Um, I think a guy like uh, Braylon Moore has the physical yeah. capability to play a defensive tackle. I also think Rashad Purnell, um, and by the way, this was SC Hokie 1103 who asked the question. I also think think Rashad Purnell, depending on how big he is, how big he reports, could potentially factor in into that three-technique spot at a uh, at defensive tackle. Um, anybody else you would add to that? No, um, I'm trying to think. I, I think those are the – Purnell and, and Braylon Moore are the two guys that – I mean, maybe Gunnar Givens. Yeah, if he, if he uh, plays G- there. Gunnar Givens will be big enough and strong enough. But to me, Gunnar Givens is Wyatt Teller. He's going to redshirt as a defensive lineman and, and then go to offensive lineman. Yeah, that's why. And I, I know he doesn't probably wouldn't want to hear that, and I wouldn't don't think I'd want to tell him that. But yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, let's see. But but those are those are the guys that are, are really are really talent. I would say those are the most talented and the guys that fit the most. And and, and, and they're like. From a strength perspective, like Braylon Moore, yeah. I think should be ready. Yeah. Um, thoughts on the Darren Buchanan commitment by Gretna Hokey? Oh yeah, uh, I think this is a four, 
Darren Buchanan, three-star, six-seven small forward from Woodrow Wilson High School in Washington, D.C. Um, fourth commitment in the class, joining M.J. Collins, uh, Patrick Wessler, and, and Rodney, Rodney Rice. Rice. The one, of course, you can't forget Rodney Rice. Um, I think it's a really good commitment, and I think, I mean, this is obviously, you know, Mike Young hasn't had a chance to have many recruiting classes at Tech, and I still think the the transfer portal is going to be a huge deal. But this is a commitment that is is really important. I think um, he's kind of like. David Gasson size, maybe a little bit smaller, but um, a, a guy that'll be able to stretch the floor a little bit. Seems like he can shoot pretty well. Very athletic. Um, you know that front court depth is going to be really huge, especially after you lose Kevin Aluma and Justin Munson this year. Well, he's six six two twenty five, six six or six seven, depending on who you ask. So, so he's kind of about, like he's wing. about the same size as Justin Mutz. Yeah. Now, what I like about him, obviously, for his AAU team, he plays off the ball because they've got Rodney Rice on his AAU yeah. team. Yeah. But for his high school team, he plays on the ball. So he basically plays point guard for them yeah, and averages three assists per game. I, he'll either play the three or four for Virginia Tech, but I think he's going to play the four. Yeah. So, so I essentially really, I, you got a guy that can stretch the floor. He's a guy that, can, that, will, that on paper should be a good distributor, should be a good passer out of that four spot. And we've seen this year how valuable that can be with Justin Mutt. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there was a question on the boards yesterday, what pass Tech player does he compare to the most? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you don't want to hold anybody to a high standard before you've ever seen them play before. But uh, just the fact that he plays on the ball in high school makes me believe he can be a little bit of a point forward for, for Virginia Tech. Yeah, and, and that would be a guy like Justin Mutz or the guy who I compare Justin Mutz most like to is a guy like Chris Clark. Those guys who are long, athletic, rebound the ball well, can shoot. Not not necessarily the best shooters, but have that ability, but are the best passers on the team. Yep. And I think two days ago, he actually just won the state championship. Yeah, and he eclipsed a thousand points last week. Yeah, so. in the state championship game. Um, so I mean, yeah, you pick up a guy who's playing on Rodney Rice's AAU, which by the way, Rodney is playing top dog AAU. That's not lower level. Um, I was. I don't know. Basketball rankings, recruiting are always a little weird, in my opinion, because it's not really based on how you perform in high school. It's how you show out on the AAU. Right. And so Darren uh, showed out on Rodney Rice's AAU, and well, that's top level right there, traveling across the country for that. Uh, I think everything, pretty much everything else in here we've covered. So I think mm-hmm. we're done. Well, lastly, Chris, what's coming up on Tech Sideline for the rest of the week? Well, I'm going to spend my afternoon uh, transcribing some of those uh, coaching interviews from last week. We have a Brandon Patterson article. Uh, obviously, we'll have a Friday Q&A. Other than that, I'm kind of playing it by ear. It's kind of hard to tell, like, depending on what happens with the ACC tournament and and everything like that. Yeah, I will. You're busy. I'm, <laughs> I'm extremely busy. This is – I understand now why uh, John Rothstein says we sleep in May. Um, hmm. Just – I just got back from Greensboro yesterday. Chris Hirons and I were down there. Nick was also down there for Thursday or four. Um, I'm going up to Brooklyn. I'm leaving today. Going to drive about three hours today and then stay the night and then only have about five-hour drive tomorrow to New York. Driving up to Brooklyn. I'll be there all week with everything you know about Virginia Tech, of course. Hokies play 7 o'clock Wednesday. Clemson, they're the seven seed. They'll play the Clemson-NC State winner, so 10-15 game. That's ESPN2, ESPNU, I believe. Two. So, um, yeah, should be a good game. Obviously, wrestling over the weekend. We didn't get a chance to mention it. Three ACC champions, Corbin Myers. Uh, Makai. 
Mikhail Lewis and Nathan Traxler. Traxler. Um, those, and, and Jack Brisendine, shout out to him. Great coverage all weekend from the ACC Wrestling Championship yeah, in Charlottesville. Left, he was also down there. Yeah, he left Greensboro, in Greensboro. and they covered that. Um, baseball obviously won this weekend. We touched on that. Chris Hirons had that. Baseball plays ECU tomorrow. Um, no women's basketball this week. So it's kind of just no, no wrestling, kind of just baseball, healthy. softball. Softball, we obviously talked about. Katie touched on what everybody else is coming up, and then basketball. So big weekend and big weekend for Virginia Tech athletics after a pretty strong weekend. And will I, I forget, Chris? What's the deal we have going on on TSL right now? First month free, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Always first month free. Student subs are free. So great time to join Tech sideline. All right, we had a long one today, but there was lots to go over. That's going to do it for episode 228 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We recapped the last two men's basketball games and what awaits them in the ACC tournament. Also dove into the women's team and their performance in the ACC tournament. Talked some of the recent football coaches' interviews and had an update on the sixth-ranked softball team. want to thank everybody on set today. David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com. You can find him at the Real D Cunna on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He is at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Nick Brown in the fourth chair and on set today is at Nick Brown 33 on Twitter. And Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, who is behind the scenes today. You did it, Will. We got through the podcast. He's at Will Stewart TSL. I'm Katie Adams signing off on episode 228 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll see you next time.